on this episode of Tap Out Talk. We're getting in to some strong content. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Broken Skull Sessions, Stone Cold Steve Austin style. And if you know what we do here, it's your first time, this is the podcast of the podcast. And what that basically means is if you don't want to watch an hour and a half long of the podcast, you come right here and I break it down with all the highlights and the delights. We're going to cover episode seven featuring the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. And if you're new to the channel, please like and subscribe. It definitely helps me out. But without further ado, let's get in. All right. In this episode, we start out with a little small talk. As Mark actually starts out, we get a handshake as usual between him and Stone Cold. And then he plugs his busted open radio show podcast and how he's working on his autobiography. Austin then asks Henry about how he feels and mentions that he um, lasted longer than he did and Mark feels that he was blessed to stay in the business for 22 years. He loves wrestling, and he wants to see the business better than when he and Austin were in the company. He talks about today being a transitional phase, and he puts over Drew McIntyre um, very heavily, actually, and then how he's matured. He talks about the rest of the roster and how some of the guys are getting um, a chance to do main events with people in his era gone, and it will take time and seasoning to get them there. Austin asks Henry how he watches the show, and Mark says he watches as a fan, and he loves them right now, and he really loves the whole Mandy Otis storyline that's been going on you know, recently, and he found himself hating Dolph Ziggler, so as a fan, he really kind of tunes in. He watches the show twice since the first time he does it as a fan, and then he looks into what they did right and what they did wrong. He notes that he hates the dirt sheets because it ruins the magic but some things need to be kept between the wrestlers and the business. I found that to just be kind of a little uh, interesting concept on Mark Henry because, you know, he started as kind of a fan of a guy that came in the industry. We'll talk about that. We then get into some of the uh, background history. Um, Austin moves on to life and growing up, and Mark mentions the losing of his father at the age of 12. Mark says it was hard, and as you look for someone to bring you up as a man, that's what he does in his mentor programs. His mother remarried, and he didn't get along with his stepdad. He calls his brother Superman, as he was an All-American football player in high school and and then the Salutatorian. There was a two-year gap as Mark was younger, and he felt that his brother was the chosen one, quote-unquote. So we see a photo of Mark with his kids standing in front of the house he grew up in. Uh, he got his first weight set when he was 12 years old, actually, and he tells a story of his dad putting cinder blocks in the garage to keep the animals from knocking them over. Um, he didn't <clears throat> want to put the cans on a cart. He was lazy, really, and he just opted to pick them up and carry them on his back. He breaks down a bit as he talks about people being tough, and as he had to learn, the world wasn't going to just hand him anything. He really wishes that someone would have told him just to stay within the confines of the law, and he appreciates the tough love now, but back then it was different. He claims that his strength is an extension of how he sees the world. Mark says he didn't run with the wrong crowd, but he was he was the wrong crowd, really. Um, once he got strong and realized that he didn't care if he got hit, 
he did what he wanted, and then he and his brother didn't speak for two years. And Mark says it was Superman and Lex Luthor living in underneath the same house, but different rules. His brother felt he was lazy in school, but they learned later that he had dyslexia. Um, his mind would tell him what to write, but he couldn't put uh, put it on paper, basically. And the same with his math. And as he learned to do everything in his head, and his teachers thought that he was just cheating off somebody. So we get a lot about that. And I didn't know that about Mark Henry growing up with some of those struggles. But, you know, after every great struggle, there's usually some success if you stick it through. And that's a lesson here to learn, right, guys? We get into his passion for weightlifting. We move on to weightlifting. And this is where Mark met a gentleman by the name of Terry Dodd. He told Mark to stop football and just specialize on powerlifting um, as he could be a world champion if he kept his eyes focused. First he, moved to Austin, um, first, he moved to Austin to train with Todd for four days a week and then moved to Colorado to train for the Olympic team. So Mark talks about steroids and how he wanted to do the best he could without competing against the guys who were cheating with steroids. And he says it happens a lot. He left the Olympics in 1996 because they promised things they didn't deliver on. So Vince McMahon called Todd to get in touch with him. We then get into the next section, which seems to be popular here on the Broken Skulls, which is meeting Vince. Because you know what? It's always interesting to meet Vince. He tells the story of Vince calling him for the first time, and he hung up on him thinking it was a joke and the guys were messing with him. Austin laughs, and he said that's a very common story he hears a lot because nobody ever truly believes that Vince McMahon is actually the one calling him. Uh, the call comes through a second time, and Mark says he was standing there shaking. He isn't afraid or anything, but he just couldn't stop shaking because he was caught up in being a fan and the fact that Vince McMahon was you know, actually calling him. Mark apologized for hanging up on him, and Vince invited him to Connecticut to see if the WWE can do for him. He flew to Connecticut, and he met with The Undertaker and Yokozuna. And then in that, he was told um, the young guys take care of the older guys, so he became Yoko's driver and bag carrier. He calls that one of the best parts of his career, and that Yoko treated him like royalty. He calls Yoko a lot of fun and an honest guy. Yoko took Mark to his first strip club, actually, <laughs> which is just fantastic. Uh, Austin brings up the, the fact that Mark doesn't drink or do drugs, and Mark says the strip clubs may have been his one vice that he was guilty of. Um, he didn't even know things like that existed, and he got ruined real, real quick. The WWF, the early years, Austin brings up the massive contract that Mark was given coming as an Olympic you know, competitor and how it got heat with the boys backstage. Heat basically meaning that you know, some of the guys get angry with you. Um, he understands now, as he was brought in with an, no experience and was getting double what the boys were getting in the back. Um, he thinks Vince could have done a better job of hiding it. He says that nobody wanted to train him at first, and, he's, and then he started working with Dr. Tom. He calls Tom and Rip Rogers two of the best trainers around. The Rock signed soon and had no money, so he asked him to stay with him. Now The Rock was the driver for Mark, and mainly because Mark had a lead, um, basically a lead foot and got to places quickly. We see a picture of Mark debuting with his red, white, and blue gear. Mark was glad they pushed him, but he wished he would have had something other than his debut match on a pay-per-view. Um, he talked about his current development system and how that works so much better than when he was brought in. He wishes he would have had a year at least, then slowly got introduced to everyone. He feels that he sh everyone should meet all the people in the office in merchandise to get that idea of how the whole people in the company work. Mark became paranoid 
um, people when, when they were talking about him, and his instinct was to naturally fight them. He tells a story about how he met The Undertaker, who called him the new babyface. Mark didn't even know what that meant, and he was irritated. Babyface just being a good guy. That's just slang for being a good guy in the uh, wrestling world. Um, he says that he had a three-year period where he didn't learn anything because it took him that long to learn. If you don't talk to somebody, you don't learn anything. He brings up the BSK guys and how they all took care of him. So I found that kind of interesting. Um, then he goes on and kind of talks a little bit, um, the next story about how Ron Simmons and JBL ribbed him um, in a way to bring him into the group. So they kind of picked on him, which kind of brought him into the group of guys. Mark says that he never had to deal with ribbing because he was, you know, the man lifting and instantly had respect. Obviously, he hadn't earned that in the WWE, so he got the he got the padlock on the luggage treatment, clothes tossed in the shower. Mark would tear the backstage area apart when they messed with him, and the boys found it funny and would keep it going. Um, I remember one story myself, just kind of hearing that Mark um, initially had, um, you know, found actually a turd sandwich literally in his lunch, which is just gross. But I remember hearing that story a while ago and him wanting to quit over that um, when he first got in. So, you know, it's kind of the initiation, right? It can always be a little brutal, but the end, you got to tough it out. Nation of Domination was the next area topic. Mark noted that Ron Simmons may be the only guy on the planet he was actually afraid of, and he tells the story of Ron asking him if he was looking at him to try him. Mark shot back, hell no, and then he was just admiring his beard. That led to the discussion of the Nation of Domination. Mark's says every one of the guys had a different element they brought in teaching him. He calls D'Lo the best worker out of all of them. D'Lo Brown uh, volunteered to take bumps on Austin's truck, and they included the video and showed that sweet spot where he got flipped onto the Austin's truck during the Rock match. The Rock was nonstop about the business, and he was taking notes everywhere they went. Ron was the typical father figure, um, so Farouk basically figured for all of them and wouldn't take sh shit from anybody including the godfather um the nation was ron's and he threatened to kick them out if they didn't do what was asked he says that ron was had a brilliant mind for wrestling and puts over his football background ron is a legit beast and he had the jersey retired at florida state i've heard lots of stories about ron simmons aka farouk um all the way back from just you know in the industry and how he, he was freakishly strong i've heard lots of stories like that We then get into the next era of his phase, which was sexual chocolate, Mark Henry. So uh, sexual chocolate, Mark Henry says the nation split up as, and he broke his ankle. Someone hit his crutches, and he went off on Sean um, and the click because that just happened to be there. So he kind of went off on Sean Michaels and the click. Uh, Vince sent him to Canada. That's where he started training with the hearts, and he was there when he started training, he was actually most of the time babysitting Brett's kids so he and his wife could go out to dinner. He loved being in that environment and used the time to learn some things from Stu Hart. Um, this is where he learned his strength was an advantage. Stu stretched him out for about a month or two, and then he learned so much, and he felt that he was going to come back as a monster that could stretch people. When he came back, the WWE was going more of an entertainment route instead of the wrestling route. Mark had the idea for a ladies' man called Sexual Chocolate. Mark says that it was the beginning of him being a viable entity to the WWE. Vince took to the character, and he had so many ideas that Mark was all in on 
all of them, and he wasn't going. He was going to do anything that Vince asked at this point. So he then gets into the point of Mae Young. Mark loved working with her, and he mentions Mae had a tattoo of an anchor on her arm. He brings up how tough she was and relates to a story of her working in Dallas. A booker told her to change somewhere else, and if she did well, he might take her out to dinner later on. Mae told him to zip his pants, and when the poor sap looked down, she kicked him square in the balls and started stomping him. She would not take disrespect for her, and Mark brings that up when he set a path for the ladies today. He loved working with her, and they rode together. He would go 100 miles per hour with her as well, and she never sold that it bothered her or never even mentioned it, right? So Mark says that he was pulled over a bunch of times but only got one ticket as he was good in talking his way out of them. Then we kind of get into the whole May Young giving birth to the hand, and the entire thing is shown. It's still kind of gross. Um, Mark is losing it and watch is losing it as he watches it. He's just losing it, and Austin's laughing because of Mark's reaction. Mark asked Vince why a hand, and Vince um, Vince just responded, "It's a hand," and walked off laughing. To this day, he still doesn't get it, but it was funny, and he laughed through the entire segment. Austin brings up some of the vignettes. In the character building moments, Mark says that it's more important than winning and losing because it gives people a reason to care about somebody. Mark wanted to make sure that they were invested in everything that they cared for you and um, you didn't need to dive off the top of the Titantron. The sexual chocolate period was when he was starting to feel the business and he got his timing down with the matches. He didn't mind doing things make to make others successful he said it was a lost art in pro wrestling to sacrificing yourself to get someone over while also helping to get yourself over he calls it an art form and you have to love the business more than your character um i love that statement by mark at the end of the day you do have to like your business more than you know your individual character so i just think it shows um how much of a selfless guy mark is and why he's in a position today to help others we then get a little bit into china Mark says that his goal was to always make her laugh. He calls that run the best part of sexual chocolate. Once he finally broke her into the laughing, all he had to do was look at her to make her laugh. It was real, and they had fun working together. We get some footage of their first date with D'Lo playing the limo driver, and it looked like uh, they had a ball. Austin calls China a sweet woman, and he had a ball with her as well. He wishes that she was still with us, and Mark agrees that nobody was sweeter than her. Mark thinks that under different circumstances, she would still be here. He knows she got frustrated with the business, you know, like others have, and made bad decisions. We didn't get into Ohio Valley, so something a lot of people don't realize is Mark worked in OVW for the Brian Pillman Memorial Show, and he got some great feedback from Ricky Steamboat. Mark was at the low point of his career and was thinking about leaving and trying out football. He met Hugh Morris at the Pillman show when he was still working for him and they talked for about 20 to 30 minutes before he even knew his name they and they paired him up for the show um, each was on their last leg in the business at the time and they decided they need to steal the show together Mark can only equate to how Keith Lee worked and it was two big dudes bumping and flying all over the ring they sold for each other and the ref told them to shake hands after the match at the end Steamboat had told Mark um, and basically Steamboat told Mark that it was great to see psychology back in the business and actually thinking about it. Mark admits he's an emotional person and it broke 
And it broke him down hearing that. He says crying is not a weakness, and he feels that it makes him stronger. Um, back in OVW, we get a little bit more into that, where Mark was sent there after his time in Canada. They wanted him to drop weight, and the WWE asked, um, as well as he put on 40 pounds while he was in Canada training with the Hearts. He was able to get down to 430 from three to 350 pounds. So he went from 430 to 350. He needed to stop eating like he was still a power lifter, and that was the biggest thing he noticed. We didn't get into his next era of his career and phase, which was the world's strongest man, right? And this is where Mark really started peaking. Austin brings up that Mark was getting heat with weightlifting community for calling himself the world's strongest, the world's strongest man. Mark was back home with his mom and was getting sick and he was starting lifting again. His mom passed away from cancer and Vince told him to take as much time as he needed to do what he needed to do. Mark saw a muscle and fitness magazine where he call, was called out for not competing and using the world's strongest man as his nickname. Vince told him they are an entertainment and he really doesn't have to prove that he is. In Mark's mind, he needed to prove it and Vince told him he would give him his time, but there was no place in the WWE for the second strongest man. So Mark told him that he got it, and he left knowing that failure was not an option. We get a video of Mark at the contest destroying everybody, showboating to the crowd as well. Mark says that he is the greatest strongman that ever lived, and he did it clean. He did it clean without any drugs. He didn't need to cheat or anything to win. He had was God-given potential, and he also have credit to you know, him that got him there. He gave credit to the coaches, the trainers, and even Vince McMahon. Vince had an eye to see that he could be a wrestler more than just a strong man. So it was interesting to just kind of see these clips and, and, you know, what all happened with Mark as, you know, that led him back in to the WWE. And I remember these skits where he was flipping trucks and he was pulling semis. So they were really kind of honing in on this. Mark came back to the WWE as he said he, you know, he did his part and he did what he needed in the weightlifting world. Vince told him no more sexual chocolate as now he was going to be billed as the strongest man in the world because that's what he was. They showed a video of him using his legs to keep a limo from running him over. Mark points out that it was telling to the driver to stop as he could feel the grill start to crack under his feet. He got a call, a phone call from Terry Todd after that spot and he was told how stupid it was and what could have gone wrong. Austin talks about the overseas trip where Mark moved a car and they were in Blackpool and someone had a car parked and there was blocking the bus where they were riding. They uh, neither needed to wait for someone to move the car or back up and go in a different direction. It was 2 a.m. and Mark got pissed so he asked where the car was. He got out and he moved the car to the curb himself. He got back in the bus and told Regal, with Re William Regal, um, he said, Henry, don't ever get mad or touch anyone, which is what William Regal told him. And he said, awesome. The boys popped when they saw him and they followed him to the arena the next day. So um, he kind of started to get over at this point. So we then we get to the Hall of Pain. So this was the next phase in Mark Henry's career. Austin asked Mark about the time that frustrated him the most in the business. And Mark brings up a knee injury and in that Dr. Andrews told him he may never wrestle again. He destroyed the knee in a match with Kurt Angle and he was going to put him through a table on the floor. One of the legs broke, and instead of getting a new table, he propped it up on a guardrail. When he did um, the spot, his knee caught nothing but concrete. He opted to keep working, and he had people uh, put his knee back into place, basically. Um, it finally blew out in a match with Rey Mysterio, 
they show where it happened, and it was on the episode of Saturday Night's Main Event, and all he did was a charge in the corner. You can hear Mark yell at Ray, I tore my quad, I tore my quad. He then crawls to the corner, yelling at Fit Finley that he was has to get out and make a tag. That's brutal. He went and he got his knee fixed and was so depressed that he figured out that he was as good as career as he was ever going to get. He started to train again and the stuff started to get better. He came back and had his first chance at the world title and then he tore his shoulder. Now he's really going, thought his career was done. But again, he found the motivation and he come back in 2011 and it was Hall of Pain time. Hall of Pain, Mark says, it started as a rib from Vince and he was told to go in the ring and he was to have a match with Sin Cara, but nobody came out. Mark had no clue what was happening. Uh, Tony Chimmel thanks the fans for coming and he hopes that they'll come back next time. You can see the anger on Mark's face in the ring, so he went to the back and nobody was there. He started destroying everything in the back and he kicked Vince's door down. Vince was gone and Mark called him and he said he quit the WWE. His wife told him that they had bills to pay and she said, you better get your head straight. Uh, Vince called Mark back and he asked why he felt like it was just you know, he felt, why do he felt that way? Because it was just a rib and they were completely just joking around with him. Mark told Vince that he felt disrespected and he didn't need this. Vince apologized and told Mark that he was too valuable for them to quit. Mark told him that he couldn't go through something like that again. Vince told him, okay. And he said, but also wanted him to show him something. And he showed Mark the footage of him being angry in the ring and walked out of the ring to the back. He told Mark that that was the most visibly afraid of someone in a ring that he's seen in years. He told Mark, if you could be that guy, he could make a lot of money. Mark told him that he couldn't control that guy, and Vince told him that he could, and that's what he wanted. Thus, the Hall of Pain was born. They showed angry Mark basically storming and destroying tech in the area and abusing a tech guy. This was easily the best version of Mark Henry as he was finally booked as the giant ass kicker he could have been. Mark says that when he watched himself on TV, he couldn't even recognize that guy. If he had been that angry in real life, he was fighting and he was fighting somebody he probably would have killed him mark also didn't want to perpetuate a negative perspective to anybody he brings up the fact that god found him at this time and he didn't want his kids to be scared of him he realized that he was an entertainer and he didn't want to be negative and have a negative stigma of a big black dude that scared people he took solace that he couldn't be responsible and people can control what their kids watch so he just needed to do his job um, I found this very interesting because this is kind of a turning point for Mark Henry. I remember the Hall of Pain thing was kind of the thing that started to get him over um, in a major way on a more of a um, top competitor, heavyweight kind of way. So Then we get into the world title picture, right? The beautiful big gold belt that we all love. Um, Mark wins the world title from Randy Orton, and he calls it his validation of the time in the business. It showed that the journey meant something as they show him dominating Randy to the win the world title. They show a female in the crowd that looked pissed, and Mark points out that he was glad that she was pissed. He was now a world champion, and even when he lost it, he would always be a world champion. He was the 139th man to win the title at that point, and that means he will always be a part of history. Mark says the fastest he's ever recovered from a match in his life was when he won the world title. He could have wrestled another 30 minutes when... He was handed that title. He calls it the proudest moment of his wrestling career. Again, it was validation for him. It was a wonderful feeling. He can't explain it to his to Austin. He just knows that Austin knows exactly what it feels like. 
He cried, he laughed, he wanted to show off with it, calls his family to take pictures, and he just got lost in the moment and didn't know what to do next. Austin talks about winning the WWE title at WrestleMania 14 and how it was a screw you to everyone that doubted him. Mark brings up the in-ring interview that he had with good old JR Jim Ross where he told him that he was going to be something. JR did tell Vince to cut him at one point in Mark's career and just to cut his losses with Mark Henry. They show a piece of the interview where Mark just held the title in JR's face and asked him to apologize. JR apologized. Mark tells him that he hates ass kissers like JR. He grabs JR by the tie, choked him while making JR say that he was the world champion. Austin jumps on the story as he never knew that JR told Vince to cut his losses. Mark says that he um, loves JR and he calls him one of the greatest descriptive storytellers of all time, but he learned a lot from JR. Um, Austin then you know, asked Mark's favorite part of that title run. He says, you know, it was the peak of strength. And then as he kind of talked a little bit about it, you know, he says it was just, you know, his understanding of pro wrestling. And then they met at the same time he says that he could have worked with a broomstick at that point. Um, he talks about the big show. He says the big show really kind of taught him a lot. He tells about the time that he had to put the big show through a table while doing a curl while holding him. He got back and Kane told him that was the most impressive thing he ever seen in his life. They show the spot and it was rather impressive. So um, that's where he kind of really learned a little bit more um, with Paul White and him. Then we get into a category I like to call playing favorites. So in that, um, the favorite opponents, right? So Mark asks the taker, or Mark says that the undertaker was his favorite and he learned so much for him. He also is a strong proponent of learning even when they people think they have it all figured out. He loves the atmosphere of being a match with The Undertaker, and he says that it was more than he had for matches with Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Hulk Hogan, etc. The opponent he had the most fun with, though, was Fit Finley. He also put over Jamie Noble, and he says that he, he was special, and he would have been Austin if he would have just been a bigger dude. So he really gave Fit Finley a um, high you know, praise for his work with him. From here, we get a little bit spun off into um, a little bit of Keith Lee type news, who is another, you know, big man wrestler. Um, Austin asks about Keith Lee and what Mark sees in him. Mark brings up that he was a guest on Backstage um, a little bit ago, and he told him that he brought back the big guy magic. That's exactly what he said to Keith Lee. He compares him to the guys like Bigelow, and Van Vader and Big Show, and he feels that Keith Lee is the next guy in line, and he is the only guy that can do it. He feels that Keith will bring back the big guy mentality in pro wrestling, and other big guys need to step up and actually join him. So overall closing thoughts. Um, in closing, Austin asks Mark if he has some advice for him. And for the kids out there, Mark says his number one thing is to humble yourself. Once he humbled himself, things took off for him. You have to know what you don't know and don't be intimidated by someone's knowledge and power. Again, I love the lesson brought in there. You have to be able to learn to be able to earn. Okay, that's the biggest thing. What's in the future for Mark Henry? Mark wants to get a sponsorship to be able to do um, to be able to do his days of service. He has a group called Under the Bridge Effort where they help mentally ill drug addicts and anyone who needs it. He went on with Kane to Knoxville to help service over 200 people. He wants to help as many people as he can. Austin then kind of wraps things up, and that closes another edition of the Broken Skull Session. 
So my overall closing thoughts on it, um, I feel like it was an okay show. I feel like it was good. It was kind of nice to know about Mark Henry. Some of the bits felt a little choppy back and forth. They kind of jumped all over, but it was quick and it was efficient. But um, if you liked what you kind of heard here on today's episode of Tap Out Talk, definitely go on the network and check out the Mark Henry episode of the Broken Skull Sessions. But if you're okay with the information we covered here, which was the majority of it, I don't know if you'll find anything really new other than hearing it from Mark's words himself. But that's all I got for you guys today. And as always, thanks for watching. Like, share, and as I said, subscribe, because that's the most important part. And it's not goodbye, but it's game over.